Hi, this is Steve Thomas, pastor of the First Baptist Church at Delray Beach. Welcome to our podcast. We study God's Word to apply it to our lives in order to make a difference in this life and in eternity. We hope you enjoy this message. We cry out, we cry out. Well, I hope that you've already made your Mother's Day card. How many of you actually made a card this year out of construction paper and crayon? I mean, those are the best, right, moms? I mean, don't you love the ones that were made out of the construction paper and crayon? And maybe there's, there's like a shape of something unrecognizable that's pasted on there that's uh, something. And there's a stick figure of you holding their hand or something like that. But those are the best, right? You know, mothers love the, the effort, don't you? The fact that you tried, you did something, you did something on your own. Um, I mean, after all, you all developed an actual human being within your body. That's crazy. I mean, nurtured that child, and then when it was born, you stayed up with it all night, and you worried about it all night, and you were always concerned about that child. And, you know, no matter how old your child is, whenever there's some aspect of your child going on, you're all over that. And uh, you're, you're interested. You're constantly wondering how those children are doing. And the reason, for, and you're, you're always hoping during this that they're going to do something amazing, right? You suffered for them, you birthed them, you raised them, and you, you're just hoping that something amazing is going to happen. Um, this was really made clear to me one vacation when we had our kids. We're like in middle school, high school, and we were on a rocky coast 200 miles from any real medical care, and the the rocks were very sharp and jagged, and if you just took a wrong step, you'd feel like you'd have to have 50 stitches, you know, that whole thing. And um, I'm thinking, this is dangerous, and if someone gets hurt, I don't know how we're going to get them any help. And um, our youngest son, John, said, I'm, I'm going to do a flip off of this into the water. And we're somewhere in the neighborhood of 15 to 300 feet off the water. I'm not sure which, somewhere in that range, probably 15 to 20 feet. And he said, I'm going to do a flip. And at the same time, I said, no. And Julie said, yes. Do it. He did it. And he's mostly okay today. No, he was here Sunday. He's, he's fine. But it's amazing. She was excited about him doing this. I'm like, I don't want this to happen because I feel like there's going to be blood. Um, but moms are always cheering for their child to do something amazing. And I think sometimes they're wondering a little bit of, you know, they're always looking for how that child's doing because they're always, am I, did I do a good job? Am I a good mom? What was my role? Did I carry it out? Was it, was, was it enough, you know? And that's why when you go home, your mom always makes you the best food, right? And they're always taking great care of you. They want to have you to have the best life. But what does the Bible say about the role of a woman or a mother? What does it really say? What are the standards? Because today I want, to, want you to walk away feeling good about what God has for you. I don't want you to be overwhelmed, ladies. I don't want uh, anybody to be able to put any undue pressure on you. I want you to see what God's word actually says. And we're going to kind of start in the middle in Proverbs 31, verse 10. 
And I know what you Bible scholar ladies are thinking. No, not Proverbs 31, verses 10 through 21, because there's no way I can live up to that. There's only six people I know in the world that can live up to that. And that's not really quite true. But I want to encourage you. We're going to start there. We're going to cover a lot of ground today, biblically. But I want you to know God has an amazing plan for you. He has an amazing role for you. And I don't want you to be overwhelmed by what the world might be putting on you. Because I feel like today we hear so much about, you know, you've got to have it all. You've got to do it all. You've got to have a career that's incredible. You've got to have a bunch of children. You've got to do all of it all at the same time. And I don't think that's what God's calling us to do. Rather, he gives us some clear direction and some clear priorities. Proverbs chapter 31, beginning in verse 10. God's word says this. An excellent wife or a virtuous wife, in other versions, who can find? She is more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. This section of scripture, these uh, 21 verses, are a mother telling her son what kind of wife to go find. And she's telling him what to look for. Because sometimes guys don't do the greatest job looking for wives. Amen? I mean, sometimes we get distracted and we forget really what a virtuous woman looks like. And so she's giving us this here. She she says, this excellent wife is more precious than jewels. The value of a virtuous woman is more precious than anything you could buy, anything you could own. Her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. And that's what you're looking for, guys. Someone who wants to do you good and not harm, because there are some out there who would like to do you harm. Verse 13, watch what she does. She seeks wool and flax and works with her willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She is someone who doesn't just take whatever is around, but she looks for what is best. She finds the best ingredients, the best stuff to make whatever it is she needs for her home. She brings it from afar. Verse 15, she rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She doesn't sleep in all the time, Um, although I hope maybe you got to sleep in today or yesterday, ladies. I hope you get some extra rest. But she's constantly thinking about what needs to be done. Um, Verse uh, 16, she considers a field and buys it, and and the fruit of her hand she plants a vineyard. With the fruit of her hand she plants a vineyard. So she is not just all about what is inside her four walls. She's actually considering a real estate deal. So she is wise about business. She knows how to purchase property. She knows how to plant a vineyard or knows someone who can plant a vineyard. She's not just in the home. She's actually doing things beyond the home. She has business interest, and she is wise in what she does. Verse 17, she dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She has a gym membership. Or maybe she's just carrying babies around and she's got a, she's naturally has strength because of all that she's doing, right? She's not just a little weakling. She's going to be strong. She makes her arms strong. Uh, 18, she perceives that her merchandise is profitable. 
Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff and her hand to the spindle. What that means is she actually would make her own cloth. Now, we're going to have a cloth-making class right after uh, this service tonight. We're going we're to go out in the fields and find some grass and weave some stuff together. I mean, it's, it's not going to happen. Um, but understand what she's doing. She's making cloth. She's, she's doing what needs to be done for her home with what her hand finds to do. She is skillful. She is skillful. She, maybe she has gotten more education. She's got a skill. She's able to do things in order to help her household. Uh, verse 20, she opens her hand to the poor and she reaches out her hands to the needy. She's concerned about those around her who need help. Verse 20, she opens her hand, I'm sorry, verse 21, she's not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. Now, I have to give a little aside here. I don't know if you all know, but there's, there's this thing that happens north of Orlando, and it's called snow. I don't know if you all know about this, uh, but it gets cold, unbelievably cold, and this precipitation comes down. It's really beautiful. Now, we don't have that problem here. Some of you actually live up north part of the time. Uh, but most of you who are still here, you're, you're South Floridians, you don't have to worry about this. But what it's saying is she's not surprised by a change of season. She anticipates what her needs of her family will be as they grow. I can remember Julie taking our kids uh, to get them new clothes when school starts for the new year because for some reason the old clothes didn't fit. And uh, she would go to whatever store she had to go to to be ready. She's not surprised by what's next. And I'd be like, I think those shoes will fit another year. She'd say, no, honey, no, they don't. They, they barely fit now, and they're going to. And another side story. Um, I had boys. I still do. But I figured when they got to my shoe size, I could rob them of their Nikes. You know what they did? They skipped it. Both of them, they went from 10s to 12s, and they skipped my size. Just, I'm still upset about that. Um, I just wanted to share that as a problem that I spent all that money on shoes, and I never got to wear them anyway. But Julie would always be ready, and the, 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 virtual, the virtuous woman always is ready for the next season. She's prepared. Her family is not left, oh my goodness, we don't know what's happening next. She's ready, and she has them ready to, for the next season. She makes bed coverings for herself. Uh, her clothing is fine linen and purple. She is well-dressed. Purple then was a very expensive dye, and a cloth that was purple was the more expensive and finer clothing. She dresses well. And guys, let me just say this as an aside again. I have a lot of comments here that you need to be excited if your wife wants to look good. Amen? You need to be able to spend money on her hair, her clothing. You need to make sure she gets to look good to the what's appropriate for your income level. Don't be all concerned and afraid that she's gone to Marshall's too many times. It's not possible to go to Marshall's too many times. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gate when he sits among the elders of the land. Now, this is a woman talking to her son. Here's what She's in the middle of this poem. It gets to really what she wants him to know. Listen, if you marry this kind of woman, you're going to be able to be what God made you to be. You're going to be a man who's respected. Your family's going to be respected. You are going to have the position in the community that you need to have. 
And that's kind of the center of this, of this instruction this woman's giving to her son. Verse 24, she makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Um, she's strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. I love that line because it says she's not sitting around worried about what's going to happen next. She's not worried about the next growth that's going to happen. And is this child going to be ready for the next stage? She's ready. She looks forward to what's going to happen in the future. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She's someone who other people seek their counsel. She doesn't speak a bunch of foolishness. When she talks, she says things that really matter. She looks well to the ways of her household. She does not eat the bread of idleness. And this is the line that's in every Mother's Day card that has a biblical verse in it, verse 28. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Her husband believes in her. He loves her. He's excited about what she's doing, which tells you that she is in line with what he wants for the house and how the household's supposed to run. They are walking together as a godly man and a godly woman leading their house. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears, fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. This is an incredible woman. This is someone who is doing this role of a wife and mother alongside her husband the way that God intended it for, to be. She's not ruling over him. She's working beside him alongside in line with the mission of what this family is trying to accomplish. That's what she is all about. She's an amazing woman. And let me say this. It doesn't say that you have to do everything that's listed in, in, in Proverbs 31. And also, most of these things are done at different times and different seasons. There are seasons of life. And really, over the course of the life, you have an opportunity to do a lot of things. There are times when you're not really able to do much more than handle this little child that's driving you nuts right now you're loving so much. There are times when you're able to do more, and it varies based on the season of life, but she does seem to get an awful lot done. But it's a man, a godly man, and a godly woman figuring out how God wants them to lead their family, and she's working beside him in order to accomplish what the family's supposed to do. Julie and I would have regular meetings about who does what as we move from season to season in our home. Well, you're going to handle the bills this next six months. You're going to handle this. I'm going to handle that. We would have to figure that out based on what we were doing. When I went to seminary, um, I got to be the, um, the guy who picked up the kids from school. Uh, I got to be the one who got the groceries, which incidentally is my favorite household chore. Um, Getting groceries is amazing. To think you can go in a grocery store and get stuff you want to eat. What's better than that? It's like a candy store. Um, but there are different times, different seasons. But there's also challenges in there. There's some challenges. The role of a woman and a man are something that we need to understand as we consider how does this work, especially when there are trouble, when there's challenges, when there's difficulty 
And how do we live that out as husband and wife? What is the role of a wife and a husband? To understand that, we have to start in Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. The word of the Lord says this, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So God gives Adam an assignment, giving his role before Eve is ever created. He says, your job is to work and keep the garden. Your job is to manage the garden, to propagate the garden, to care for God's creation. That's your job. And those two words, work and keep, can really have also a spiritual connotation to them because to keep the law is the same word that is used here. It's to, it's to walk with God and work with him as you're managing his creation. That's the role that Adam is given. And it makes sense that he'd be working with God because we see God um, interacting with Adam, giving him the assignment. We also, after the fall, we see God coming to Adam to find him and to talk to him in the cool of the day. And Adam's nowhere to be found because he's found a big fig leaf to hide behind. Um, So there's a close relationship between Adam and God. Verse 18, but Adam has a need. Then the Lord God said, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. It's the only thing in creation that God says is not good. Every other thing God makes, he says, God created it, he made it, and it was good. But when Adam is made and he looks at him and says he is alone, he says it's not good for him to be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now the word for helper here, some people see that and go, well, I don't want to be a helper. I want to, be a, I want to do it. I don't want to help. I want to be in charge. The word helper here is used in Scripture about five other times referring to God himself. He is a helper. He is an enabler. He's the one who helps people do what they need to do. So don't be offended if you're a helper. It's not a bad thing. God himself is a helper. And the helper is going to be fit for him. Or uh, if you get into that word in, in Hebrew, it means of the same stuff, like him, corresponding to him, opposite him, but of the same material, that's what God is promising he's going to make for Adam. Verse 19 and 20. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. And the man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the heavens, to every beast of the field. But for Adam... There was not found a helper fit for him. Here's what Adam is doing. Adam is managing God's creation by naming the animals. That's the, really the first thing he's doing. And it's not just a situation where Adam would stand on a platform and God would run all the animals by and he'd go horse, giraffe, lion, otter. That's, that's not what's happening. To name something in the Old Testament is to know its character, to know it at a very intimate level. So Adam is studying the animals that God has created. Can you imagine what kind of job that would be? To know and understand, to watch, to see, to 
to see what they're all about. It was a huge undertaking. And at some point, and no one knows how long it was from the time he got the assignment until they realized that I need some help. I love the fact that God made it clear that, Adam, you need help. Guys, have you come to the point where you need some help? I mean, there's a point you realize, I need some help to do what God called me to do. And so not only does Adam need help to propagate, right, because it says in uh, Genesis 1.28, you need to, to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and have, multi, have dominion over all these animals. And Adam's realizing how big a job that is. So he needs some help, but he also needs to be able to reproduce. And in a study of animals, he's no doubt figured out that they know how to reproduce and it takes a male and a female. So he needs help and he needs to be able to reproduce. That's what God produces in him, a need. A need. Verse 21. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and he closed it up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. This is the only time in creation where God takes source material from one thing and makes something else. I think God does this because he wants Adam to know that Eve is of the same stuff and the same value as he is, even though she's different and has a different role. He takes a rib out of his side to symbolize she needs to be walking beside you. He does not take a piece of Adam's foot, like his big toe, and say, this is the, what you're going to rule her with. He does not take a piece of his head and say, she's going to rule you. He takes a rib and she's going to walk beside you to make something out of the same stuff that's corresponding to him, but different than him. Verse 24, verse 23, and the man said, at last. I love that. God creates the need, and he meets it. At last, I recognize what you've made for me. At last, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of me. Adam recognizes what God has done. You may have had this experience in your courtship at some point. Hopefully you realize this is what I've been looking for. God has met my need. He has done something amazing and hopefully I get to be the one to meet her need. Verse 24, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Husband and wife together complete a unit. They're not the same, but they're made of the same stuff. And there's some applications, there's some things that we need to see out of this and we shouldn't move away from this without understanding what God is saying here. First, God clearly created two genders. And gender matters. You are assigned your gender at birth. God created you that way. You need to celebrate it. It's not something you get to choose. So what about all the people who are trained? Listen, you, they need to be prayed for. You need to love them. But God didn't make you with the ability to change your gender. Gender is not a choice. It matters. And your gender carries with it your assignment from God. 
who you are, your gender, has, has set you up for what God wants you to be and do. We need to celebrate that, embrace that, and be excited about it. Secondly, the genders complement each other. There's two schools of thought in the, in, the, in the church these days, in the world. One is that men and women are the same, have the same function. That's just not biblically true. Clearly in Scripture, men and women are complementary. One complements the other. She complements him, he complements her. You are made as two pieces to join one unit. But if we're both the same, one is not actually needed. The genders matter, and that's why uh, God, God made it that way, to celebrate the two parts of really who he is. And this design is supported over and over in Scripture, and you may say, you know, Steve, I don't believe that. I don't Listen, I understand that, and I love you still, but I need you to know that that is carried out throughout Scripture. First uh, Timothy 2.12 says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man, whether she is to remain quiet for Adam and Eve. Adam was formed first and then Eve. And here's, here's what he's saying. Listen, we in our church invite women to be a part of virtually every area of our ministry except being the preaching pastor on Sunday morning, the lead pastor, and being one of our leading uh, deacons or elders. That's what we believe that scripture means, and it's carried out throughout the word of God. It's important for us to understand that and adhere to that. If we don't do that, we are lessening the value of the genders that God made. It's so important we do that, and if you'd like to talk to me more about that, I would be happy to sit down with you. But that's who we are. That's who we've always been. And we believe that brings the most glory to men and women and glorifies Jesus in that. In fact, Ephesians 5, and following talks about the beauty of a man and a woman. It says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church. The body is uh, and it's himself his Savior. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it. There's this beautiful picture of a wife respecting her husband, submitting to him, and a husband loving her to the point that he will give himself up for her the way Christ gave himself up for the church. When we go away from this, we lose this incredible picture of who Jesus Christ is. That's really what the family's all about. Jesus Christ gave himself up for his bride. He died for her to redeem her, to redeem us, to pay the price so that we could receive a gift of salvation that we don't deserve, that he gave us and raised us effectively from the dead. But don't miss out on the beauty of how God created gender and how God created husband and wife. But you know the story. Chapter 3, verse 6, something really awful happens. There's a conversation between Eve and the serpent, the evil one, the enemy, and it goes like, and she, the woman responds to the serpent this way. It says, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was delightful to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. What is going on? Adam, you had the mandate from God what to do and not to eat of this fruit. What are you doing? Apparently, he is listening. It says he was with her. And, and if you delve deeply into the language, it's apparent that Adam was privy to this conversation. It wasn't like she came and just gave him some fruit, random fruit, while he was watching the game. Here, Adam, has some fruit. Oh, yeah. You know, that's not it at all. 
for some reason, Adam decided not to lead. For some reason, Eve decided to make a decision that would change the world forever. Adam abandoned his leadership role, and Eve took a role she should have never had. As a result, sin entered the world, and humans fell. In verse 16, the part of the curse that comes from this goes like this. God is speaking to the woman. He says this. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. What this means is the sin natures of men and women are established here. and God talks about what it's going to be like. And one of the big sin natures for women is that you will thwart his leadership. You will resist his leadership. You will, almost one author says, be his nemesis. And on the other hand, the man will rule. And that is not a kind, appropriate, authority rule. It is a harsh, negative, over-the-top, I'm not listening to you. I'm just doing whatever I want. You have to deal with it. That's the sin nature that's set up between men and women. And that's what happens as a result of sin. Some ladies would say, well, you know, um, he won't lead. My question is always, will you follow? Will you give him a chance to lead? Some men will say, you know what? I would lead if I knew she would follow, but I'm pretty confident she won't, and she seems a lot happier when I let her do whatever she wants. That's called abdicating your role, just like Adam when he was listening to the conversation. See, men, you were built to lead. Ladies, you were built to follow, to respond. Men, you were built to inspire. Let me just say this, guys, if you're giving her nothing to be inspired by, she's going to have a really hard time following you. That's the sin nature. But you know what? We're not stuck in the sin nature, are we? Because Jesus Christ came to die for us. So how do we deal with this? Well, one, we receive the gift of salvation by repenting of our sins and saying, Jesus, I need you to save me. And we live a repentant life knowing that that's our tendency. So every time you come into a disagreement with your husband or wife, know that's going to be your tendency. I have to rule her harshly, and she says, I have to keep him from dominating me. Now give yourself some grace. Pray to fulfill the role that God has given you. I'm so blessed that um, many of you know that Julie and I, I was in um, business. I was in engineering when we met. And Julie had a, had a high-level role at a very large Baptist church. She'd already been to seminary. Uh, she'd been in ministry for a long time. And I was an engineer. We got married. And... Um, I thought, she said, well, you know, it's going to be great just to live a regular life, normal life. And uh, I knew she loved ministry. We did a lot of ministry, and uh, I went into sales, and um, she was fine with that. And I thought that's how we would live out the rest of our lives until I was about 39, and God called me into ministry. And I didn't even know how she would respond to that. I didn't know if she would be, we had a good life. We had a comfortable life. Um, but I told her, I said, I think God's calling me into ministry. And she was overjoyed because that had always been in her heart ever since she was a young girl. But she never tried to force that on me. 
She never even suggested that. She never insinuated that. She never said, hey, do you know how good it would be if you would do this? It would be such a better life. It would be so much fun. It would be great if we could. She never did that. And I'm so glad that she let God do the work. She set up a platform where he could work in my life. So no matter how difficult life would get in ministry, and there has been some hard days in the last 21 years, I would never say, well, I did what Julie wanted, and then look where it got us. I would never say that, because she never expressed that until after God called me. That's how it's supposed to work. But, sadly, some ladies, maybe many, are not in a relationship with a godly man. And you don't have that privilege to live a life where you are together deciding how you're going to lead your family. I want to give you three encouragements from Scripture as we finish up our time together. Because there's things that you can do. There's impact that you can have, even if you're not in this kind of a relationship. All of you know the story of Ruth. She was a young Moabitess woman, a foreigner. And Ruth went and married a man that she thought was godly. He was from Israel. He worshiped the God of Israel. His mother was incredibly godly, named Naomi, which means sweetness. She was awesome. And Ruth is thinking, I'm married into this godly family. Things are going to be good. And he turned out to be a dud. Do you know what a dud is? It's not good. He doesn't do anything. They don't go anywhere. And after 10 years of no children, she, he dies. His father dies. His brother dies. Ruth is left with really not much at all. And she hasn't born a child in 10 years of marriage. She's probably in her early to mid-20s. And at that point, in that, in that day, if you didn't bear a child in 10 years, you were thought to be barren, and it was the woman's fault always. So what does she do? Most likely, opportunity is to go back to her household, to her mother's house and her father's house, and to see if they can somehow arrange a marriage, which is unlikely, again, because 10 years, no child. But Ruth has other ideas, and watch what she does. Watch what she does. She refuses to leave her mother-in-law, Naomi. And she says this, But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord God do to me and more so, if anything but death parts me from you. She had seen something in Naomi. She had seen godliness. She was the only one that was godly in Ruth's life, and Ruth connects herself to her. She says, I'm not going to let you go. I'm going to follow you around. I'm going to learn from you. Today, you might say, I, I know a godly woman I need to learn from. Listen, take that woman to coffee. Don't let them get away from you. Put yourself in, under their teaching. Learn from them. There are plenty in this church. Don't miss that opportunity. If things haven't worked out, or you're concerned about where you're going, or maybe you're not even married yet, make sure that you are connected to someone who is incredibly godly. Don't miss that opportunity. As a result, she follows Naomi back to her home. Through Naomi's coaching, 
she winds up in the field of Boaz and she learns how to get to know Boaz and through Naomi's coaching, she presents herself privately to Boaz to see if he will redeem her. And Boaz is a distant relative. What Ruth doesn't do is stand up on the table and demand that Boaz do what he should do. She puts herself in position for Boaz to respond and he does. As a result, Ruth bears a child who is the grandfather of King David and in the line of Jesus Christ because she connected herself to the most godly woman that she could find. Second example is Queen Esther. She's a beautiful girl, a beautiful Jewish girl, probably the most beautiful girl in the area. And because of that, she is probably against her will forced to go into a beauty pageant to be the queen. It's a crazy thing. She didn't really want to be, probably. She's so beautiful, she winds up being the queen. But it's not really a marriage like we see today. It's, it's not like um, any other kind of marriage. It's really just a situation where she is kind of a figurehead, and she doesn't have a great relationship with the king. And she can't even go talk to him without permission, or it might mean death. But her uncle, her cousin Mordecai, who is her adopted father, has told her, don't tell him you're a Jew. But then there's a plot by the wicked Haman to destroy all the Jews. And Mordecai gets, Mordecai gets a message to Esther that now's the time that she needs to leverage her relationship with the king in order to save her people. And Esther chapter 4, verse 14 through 16 says this, For if you, this is Mordecai speaking, if you keep silent at this time, Relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. In other words, God's going to still protect us. But you and your father's house will perish, and who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And this is the key verse in this whole book. See, God had placed Esther in the kingdom, in the throne, in, in, the, in the palace for a purpose. And Mordecai is saying, maybe it's for such a time as this that you can do something for your people. Verse 15, then Esther told him, told them to reply to Mordecai, go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Here's what's happening Esther is recognizing her moment. Culture would say, don't do it. Don't do it. That's not your role. That's someone else's problem. But Esther recognizes, I'm the only one who can do this. I'm the only one who can step in and save my people. I have a specific and unique call. I'm made to do something that no one else is made to do. Ladies, there is a culture around us that says you have to do everything. Let me encourage you. There's some things that only you can do. One of those is to raise your children, to birth your babies, to have your children. You're the only one who can do that. No one else can be the mom to those children that you can be. There's hundreds of other things to do, and there's also a great big life out there for you to live. But no one else can do the things that you can do. And men, you need to have that same idea. What is God calling you to do that you're the only one that can do? There are times when you realize, well, 
I guess I've been given this opportunity for such a time as this. And in those times, it could be risky. But you know that God has placed you there to do what only you can do. So commit to do what God has made you to do. You have a unique role that God has prepared you to do. So Ruth connects herself to the most godly person she can find. Esther, in a very difficult situation, agrees to do what only she can do. And then Mary, in John chapter 2. When Jesus is 30, he starts his ministry. At this point, Mary, his mother, is probably a widow. Because from this point on, she's seen alone. And they're invited to a wedding. And Jesus and his disciples are invited as well. And this is what happens in John 2, 1 through 5. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. Jesus said to her, Woman, what does that have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now, at first glance, you're thinking, Well, that's kind of rude. Woman, we don't talk that way, right? And I don't recommend it. Don't go home and say to your woman, Leave me alone, woman. Um, but in that culture, this word is not offensive. It's just a way to hurt. He's, he's telling her, it's not time for me to let everyone know who I am. And Jesus does manage his popularity throughout his ministry until it is time, till it is his time. He's saying, listen, I got to be careful. I don't want to stand up and say, hey, I'm the Messiah. And, uh, He's probably going to be killed and his time on earth will be shortened and he won't be able to reach as many people as he needs to reach. So he simply tells her, it's not my time. And she says to the servants, do whatever he tells her. So what Jesus is doing, he's about to do an incredible miracle as a result of a need expressed by his mother. So here's what we need to understand. Ladies, when you have a need, you need to tell Jesus about that need. You need to be prayerful about that need. Communicate to Jesus what your need is. He's the one that wants to be there to help you. And as a result of her communication to Jesus, many people are blessed. And many people, the servants at least, know who Jesus is. It says later in the passage that the disciples who knew what happened, this is the point where they believed in him because of the request of a mom. So, if you find yourself in a less than ideal situation, connect to a God, the godliest woman you can. Commit to do what only you can do, your unique role, and communicate to Jesus the needs that you have. See, Jesus has equipped us to do specific things. Don't let people tell you to do things that God has not equipped you to do. The genders are different. They're complementary. You have a role, your husband has a role. If you're a single woman, you have a role as a woman. It's not the man's role. Learn how to play that role. And guys, make sure that you are being the men that God wants you to be. And I'll deal with you in June when we talk to Father's Day. It's a glorious thing that God has created. It's wonderful that we are made of the same stuff but have different roles. I encourage you to embrace that today because if we don't, 
we don't bring glory to Jesus, and that's our goal. That's our desire. We want the world to know who Jesus really is, not who we want to twist him into, but who he really is, and we want to demonstrate that in our relationships. Would you bow with me? Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to support this ministry, go to our website at fbcdelray.com. Also, click the share button so you can share this message with a friend or someone in need as we seek to know Jesus, to know others, and to make him known. We cry out, we cry out.